And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 612. We're going to talk some early draft champions leagues, streaming relievers, which is not discussed enough, and uh, maybe some late-round relievers to look at in draft champions formats, as it is draft champions season. In order to do all this, we have a, I guess, new friend of the show. I've known him for a little while now, but first time jumping on the pod. He does great work over at Reliever Recon, which we always suggest on this show, and Bubba in the Bloom and anything I do, it's a great tool that's only five dollars a month so you're really screwed up not doing that you can find him on twitter at bullpen guru dom the bullpen guru oh and he does a lot of podcasts with rob dph or our other buddy so <laughs> dom how are we doing my friend i'm good bubba how are you good doing well glad we could finally make this work get you on the yeah. show talk some fun stuff it's been fun getting to know you like uh, off you know podcast forums and doing drafts and other things so it's just good to, to, to chat with you for a little bit tonight yeah sounds good before we do, I kind of hinted at what you do, but why don't you let everybody know what you got going on at Reliever Recon and and they know exactly kind of what they're getting from Dom and the, the group as a whole. Yeah, I mean, so right now they're not getting a whole lot out of me. Um, so I'll, I'll make the caveat that, uh, you know, this this information that we talk about tonight is is purely my own. Um, they want the goat of, of uh, you know, closer data. They need to go to greg jewett who is just cranking out articles every like every day on every day in the middle of through. october and november uh he's a machine um but you know during the season I, i'm doing a daily article where i recommend streaming relievers um so that you know that six month grind i know i know you know that grind um mm -hmm. kind of you know i have an agreement where you know once the regular season ends i kind of tap out until uh the next season rolls around and if i if i you know i'm really inclined to you know really write an article and, and want to dig into something um greg lets me do it but otherwise i try to chill and by chilling i mean i mean drafting like crazy so um so <laughs> i'm still very involved in fantasy baseball it's just for my own personal gain as opposed to helping other people at this time of year so um so yeah so during the season i'm doing that daily article where i'll recommend um streamers to pick up to stream for innings stream for strikeouts stream for wins and uh also stream for saves so um and that comes out every morning um you know with with the few exceptions where if a family issue arises or you know i'm, I'm doing something where i'm just like i can't get to the article today but i would say like 98 percent of the days you get something out of me um so so yeah and uh i agree i pre i appreciate the the shout out on reliever recon i mean um you know I, I think what I do is good, but I know it pales in comparison to what uh, Greg and the other guys are doing as well. So um, it's it's definitely the best five dollars you can spend. Yeah, it's a great niche, great group of guys. It's uh, like I literally have looked at the closers charts that yes, Greg is still updating and it's now November, but he started since the season ended. I look at him every day. I'm doing a draft or something else. And he's still going like as guys get signed and. What you guys got going over there is pretty awesome, and I, I don't. Yeah. I think anybody that listens to the show probably knows that by now. But uh, if they don't, like five bucks, people just don't drink one Starbucks a month or something. You'll be it's <laughs> it's real simple. So uh, I recommend checking it out. Let's have some fun though. You mentioned you're drafting right. like crazy this year. Yep. I heard you on heard you on Rob's show. I think it was last week or the week before even, where you mentioned um, you've done uh, seven DCs. Now I didn't know if it changed. That's why I put it on the uh, the outline there if it changed or not. But yeah. um, I thought I was you know I've done two a DC and a fifties now. I just kind of hop around here and there. What is um what's kind of I guess we'll start with what's like your biggest I guess takeaway from these 
these early uh, DCs, and we'll kind of go through a few other ones as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I've done seven, um, and uh, I have probably two more um, uh, still to go. So I'll, I'll do one next on this Friday, starting on Black Friday, um, with Mike the Mouth, Fast DC. Couldn't say no to that. And then uh, I'll have one more as part of the Champions League qualifier that I'll do probably closer to the, to the um, start of the year. So, um, you know, I like drafting early. Like, I kind of take pride. The last two years, I've, like, hopped in the first DC that is open that opens up, like, once, um, once the NFBC, like, opens the draft rooms. Um, so this year, I think I was the first person to sign up for the DCs. Uh, in addition to the meatball draft, which, yeah. um, you know, I was very appreciative of Rob for getting me in that one. So I like drafting early. I mean, I looked at my drafts last year and of the eight DCs I did, um, I won two of my first three leagues that I drafted. And those were like, um, those were drafted in like mid-November or earlier. So I kind of felt like maybe that's my edge is like, I don't like football. I don't draft. I have one fantasy football league. I am one and nine in it. Um, this year, <laughs> this week, I won, so I'm two and nine. But um, you know, like I, I don't, I don't draft football teams. I'm, I'm locked in on baseball. I'm doing daily articles, so I'm, I'm locked in the full season. So I think like my edge is that I'm locked in so hard throughout the season that like the second the draft lobby opens up, I'll, I'll hop in because everything's still fresh in my mind. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, so I think this year my mindset was like, you know, now I know the gladiator format exists. So I was like, let me just do a bunch of DCs early. Um, then I'm going to move to gladiator. I'm going to do, I told myself I was going to only do fast gladiators. Um, I'm in, I'm in three slow (laughs) gladiators as we speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's good to like see the player pool wide and then hone it in and figure out, you know, what kind of um, roster construction builds you like to do. Um, and then, you know, in in between the time I'm not doing uh, gladiators, now is the time I'm actually doing like deep dive, deep dives into players. So, you know, I knocked out my, my closer research tonight in advance of this um, call, as you see in my notes. So, um, you know, that was good. That, that kind of, you know, kick my ass into gear in terms of actually looking into players. So I, I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I like to do like really good deep dives so that I feel really strong about like my player analysis heading into um, drafts later in the winter. Yeah. It's, it's a, we have a lot in common in that regard. Like I'll still do like DCs or fifties kind of up until January or so I'll, I'll mix in some gladiators, but I like getting these earlier ones now. I, I, I actually had better success. It feels like in the DCs early and then the fab leagues later, like you said, you kind of get the, the big, big view of things and you can shrink it down when it becomes, you know, crunch time, as they say yeah. uh, for the fab leagues. And also like for us that grind it all season long and you keep going, you can find those values. The, uh, our quote unquote, maybe what we perceive as values in ADP guys that are going to be moving up as the, the draft season goes along or due to free agencies or, you know, spring training or whatever, but you can kind of see guys that are mispriced per se. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's a, a nice, I guess, edge to have if it works out, I guess it's not an edge if it doesn't, obviously I know these are words that like Zach Waxman like croons <laughs> about, but, um, it, 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 you know what I'm trying to say is like, you can kind yeah. of find little pockets of, of, of 
goodness is what yeah. i'll say yeah. as you're drafting so uh it, yeah. it is a nice feature for sure yeah and and like for me like you don't get tilted like like last yeah. year I, I would get so tilted when like you know guys that i was drafting in like you know round 25 26 27 became like guys that were going like the 14th the 13th round like you know i had a lot of estuary ruiz and a lot of jose siri and like those types of guys are great in like 20s and later but when they start getting pushed up to mm -hmm. the teens and you're like i really like them but i don't want to have to fight in that pool like it's just better to be done with your dcs and and move to a different you know a different format so that way you know you're not like chasing that um you know fighting that battle in terms of like you know the rising guys that you were on early that you, you know you still like but you see them starting to get that helium so i think that's also part of it too is like i'm really going to try to stay out of the dcs and and i think i i know how many dcs i can handle in terms of like setting rosters throughout the season and it's not many it's not much more than seven so i i really can't like afford to enter many more so it'll just be gladiators and then big drafts so i think that's a good way to structure it you know from yeah. a off-season draft perspective for sure it's a, it's a great way to go i'll make sure to stay out of your way in the 12 team oc you have to do later on we'll, we'll, we'll go different directions there but yeah um, i'm, I'm uh, kind of dreading that i haven't done a outside of a 12 team home league i haven't done a 12 team league on nfbc in in a couple of years so um not particularly looking forward to that but got to do it so yeah yep we'll see how it goes it'll be fun to watch the uh, twitter banter going back and forth through all you champions league boys uh oh, yeah boys and girls maybe that uh, partake yeah. in this one so it'll be fun to see all all that goes about but you've you've done seven dcs and we always talk about you know at least last year and you know, i've done one dc 150 is you know pitching's down but it'll rise when the main event comes all those things we say every year and it's pretty mm -hmm. much true but yep. what are you seeing so far that kind of stands out to you uh in your early drafts yeah i mean so yeah that was the first note it was like obviously pitching is kind of suppressed a bit and that won't be the case in a couple months um but that's similar to what we noticed this time last year i think just you know you want to get information on guys that are kind of you know, ending the season nicked up and obviously some pitchers are going to go down. So it's better to have that clarity than to invest a second, third, fourth round pick on those guys now when you don't have to, right? The market mm -hmm. is indicating you don't have to. So, um, so that's the first thing, but that's to be expected. Um, second thing I noticed, and I was just looking at this briefly before our call, but um, like in DCs, I felt like closers this year are going a little you know they're they're not getting pushed up as hard as they were in in dc's last year um and then additionally from now transitioning from dc's to gladiators um it looks like the overall like trend at least the first those first like two or three tiers of closers is like um the gladiators you have to pay like half a round higher tax on closers in the gladiator format than in the dcs um i was looking at like a couple of like i think like doval was um let me just pull up really quick i think like yeah so rysel iglesias in dcs his adps um like 65 and then in um in the gladiator his adp so far is 55 and i've kind of noticed that like going up to like the next like you know Joe, John Duran, Camilo Duval. Um, so that was kind of like the overriding theme I saw was just like um, closer 
you know, the, the closer tax in that gladiator format with the lack of um, ability to throw darts on, you know, five guys late is, is about a half round from where they're going in DCs. So that, that's what I've noticed in terms of the, you know, ADP on closers perspective. Um, and then, um, you know, this might be music to your ears or I don't know if it's music to your ears or, or like a nightmare for you, but I found that catcher is like insanely deep. It is um, very deep. More than like I can ever remember. Like I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable um, kind of waiting, especially in the DCs. There's, there's a bunch of um, late catchers that I'm going like that. I'm, I'm very cool waiting, but at the same time, like there are so many that it's kind of nice to, like in gladiators, I've kind of mixed it up and I'm starting, I'm paying up for like JTR. Um, and like, I've got, I've gotten a Will Smith share. So it's kind of nice to also just like pay up and get like that, those elite catchers as well, because like Real Muto's falling to a level I've never really yeah. seen. Like I've always kind of been, I've always missed the boat on, on Real Muto the last couple of years. Cause it's just been like a, I feel like a third, even second round price. Um, but this year I'm, I'm getting him in like the fifth round just because those ca- there's so many catchers there. And I think um, he's a nice, he's a nice guy to get, especially if you are chasing speed because you're, you're getting about 15 steals from your catcher, which is, um, you know, it makes a, a 20, it makes like a 20 steal guy, a 35 steal guy when you're getting 20 ste- or, you know, 15 steals from your catcher that you normally take a zero from that position in terms of steals. So, um, you know, it's a nice way to build your roster. For sure, and it's a great point with the catchers. Is we kind of used to say, "Well, don't pay up for catchers." Well, because JTR used to go in like twos or the second or third round, and now I'm like fifth. Okay, now we're having a conversation. Like this yeah. is interesting. Yeah, like, like you said, it shows the depth. It's nuts. I was telling uh, Bloomfield last week. I in my fifty, I got Ohapi and um, totally blanky now, but uh, two of the, or uh, Bo Naylor in like thirteenth and fourteenth round and a fifty yeah. or twelve team, which is just nuts to think about. Yeah. But that's just the depth of it. There's even more guys after that I would take, and you know, in, in DCs, which are 15s for those that don't know, um, it's still super deep because the player pool and catchers, it's it's stupid right now, yeah. uh, which is nice. But I think the I think the idea in gladiators also the idea of paying up is great because you get more locked in at plate appearances, which yeah. is big. Like the catcher's pool is good, but obviously the deeper you go, you're getting more towards like 120 game, 100 to 120 games where still those elite guys, they might not be like lighting the world on fire, but JTR, Rushman, those guys, they're getting you 600 yeah. plus plate appearances, which is tremendous in a gladiator yeah. format. So yeah. yeah, yeah, gladiators all all volume. I mean, yeah, that was the one thing that came from my pod with with Rob and um and and Rob Orr, who you know who won the, won the entire gladiator. <laughs> um but like but that was quick, the override. By, by the way by the way he like it's his like was his first foray in the nfbc or something like that if i understood correctly or first in a long yeah, time a or something cool story so he yeah, he, yeah <laughs> so we were like, like tell, us, tell us your background on like you know thinking like it's the normal story where it's like yeah i played, played for, in home yeah. leagues for so long and i cared more than a lot of other people so i wanted to you know play like with higher competition higher stakes he was just like oh yeah i just kind of like my friend told me about it and uh i i searched checked it out and i figured i'd do it i i played fantasy baseball like 15 years ago and i was so yeah so he he kind of just like got into it in i think like uh 2022 and uh yeah he took down an overall so not That's a bad start awesome. to your nfpc career yeah 
yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, on the closers side of thing, I, I wanted to ask you, um, do you think that they're kind of, it feels like they're, they're falling because this past year we saw so many guys keep their job because I think last yeah. year was like panic mode where this year it's kind of like, then it could change back to panic mode like yeah. in no time. But what is that? Is that the kind of thought you're getting out of it? Yeah, I think, I think like there was so little turnover that the, um, the feeling is that there are a lot of, a lot of safe options. Whereas like, I think this time last year we felt like there was maybe like, 12 to 15 safe options and then a lot of like committees and and um that type of thing so everyone really felt the need to just grab you know a top guy just to get that security um and now it feels like there might be more like 20 guys so it's like you can kind of wait um and also i think like you know last year like i think class a liam hendricks um josh hater were all well i guess Hendricks was two years ago, but like Hader and Classe and Diaz were like a tier above everyone else. And, you know, like the, the strikeouts kind of dipped for Classe. I think the uncertainty of where Hader is going to go. Um, and then the Diaz injury, it's kind of like brought them back to the, to the rest of the pack. And it feels like there's more of just like a big group of closers that don't really know. None really distinguish themselves more or less than the others so it's it's more like everybody can kind of just wait until the run starts to to grab a closer um that's i think kind of what i'm gathering as well is like just the uncertainty with those elite guys and without those elite guys like starting the run it just everyone tends to wait and get other stuff instead and what you mentioned there i've noticed in both my drafts so far is when the run starts, you better be ready because yeah. then they do start going. It's not like a cherry pick here, a cherry pick there. You might get a couple, but once like the, a certain one goes off the board, then they all start flying. So mm-hmm. that is yep. definitely a thing. And that'll kind of lead me into my next question is, where do you prefer to draft so far this draft season? Because I've been on the end on our 15, and that was miserable at times because you miss everything. And I, mm-hmm. I, it's good because you get a coon. Yet after that, you're just like, this is like, what are we doing? I was seventh in the, the 50s, which wasn't bad. I kind of like that middle round yeah. area there what are you liking so far um so uh, the majority of my drafts have been like weirdly in like the nine to ten range and i've like asked derek i'm like what's going on why am i always getting pick nine pick ten no matter what i do with my kds i've gotten a couple of drafts where i'm on the end hey, real, so real, like, quick, real quick what did derek say to you <laughs> he, i don't think he answered me <laughs> I just want to love this smart Alec remark. That's all I <laughs> yeah. want. Yeah. It's either you get a smart ass remark or you just get completely yeah. ignored for asking a stupid ass yeah. question. So I yeah. think I got the uh, ignore route. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm I've been in like I've been I've kind of set my KDS preference to be at the ends in certain slow drafts. So like like any four hour draft I'm in, I'm I'm making my preference like one fifteen two fourteen because like I want to be able to go in and like make two picks and then just get out of that draft room and not come back until I'm back on the clock. Um, Cause I, I'm a kind of a person where if I'm in slow drafts, I'll like pop in and see what's going on. And then if I I pop in and see what's going on, start looking at what picks have been made and start putting guys in my queue. And and like, next thing you know, it's like 25 minutes and I've just been in a draft room that I'm not picking for like 
you know, 15 picks and I've just wasted time. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm trying to just stay out until I'm on the clock and then I'll pop in, make two picks, get out. So, um, so I've drafted there. That's, that's not bad, but I've, I've been doing that on like gladiator. So it kind of gives me the ability to do weird stuff. Like um, I know in this gladiator I've done where I'm in the 15 spot, I think I went um, close, like closer, closer in round three and four. So I kind of like start, I start the run, which was nice, but yeah, to your point, like if you're on the end, you, you don't have any control and you have to be able to, the good thing is I've done seven DCs. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with the player pool and I'm like, all right, if I miss a run, I still have guys that I like later at this position. So um, that's, I guess the, an, another benefit of doing that. So many DCs is I just have a good feel of the player pool at this point. Um, sure. But I think my preference would be a top five pick. Cause I like, I really like getting, one of the power speed guy, like literally like a five category elite five category contributor in the first round. And what I've, I've noticed at least is like um, everyone mid to late first round ends up typically going like hitter hitter, just because there are so many good hitters, but um, not as many great power speed, like power speed guys. Like maybe they go with like an Ellie and like a, you know, Olsen or Bryce. So they kind of, you know, they have two good hitters, but not necessarily great power and speed. And then it comes back to you and you have your pick of like the the first tier of pitching. So like, I know I've built certain teams with like um, Tatis, Wheeler, Castillo as like my first three picks. And I just really like that like base of elite starting pitching, especially with two. So, um, you know, that's kind of how the, the draft is structured right now where you can get like one of those elite power speed players with the first five picks. And then you can potentially grab two ACE level starters, which is, is nice if that's how you want to build your team. Yeah, that's definitely the approach. If you're in the front half, like you said, uh, you can get those two starters. Cause if you wait on the starters, the next time around, you will be wishing mm-hmm. you'd have at least one, if not two. Yeah. But, like, on the flip side, if you're on the back end, you may be able to go hitter hitter and get, pictures it's just a weird dynamic but definitely yeah that's, that's the point of doing these early drafts just kind of get the yeah. feel for it yeah but um yeah i like that for sure it's a the, the 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 fun part right now is trying to decipher which pitchers are the ones deserving of those top picks outside of like cole basically <laughs> yeah strider and strider trying to, yeah. figure, trying to figure it out from there because they all start to kind of look alike after a while then you have to really yeah. start planting your flag somewhere which is which is part of the research we're doing so yeah Tons yeah. of fun. Any other final thoughts on DCs? Otherwise, we're going relief pitching time. No, yeah, I think I think we're ready to get yeah. into the get into the good stuff. Yeah, there'll be plenty of DC talk on my shows and Rob and Dom shows and other shows throughout the season because tis the season to be drafting. Yep. Uh, let's talk about it, the way we started the show talking about reliever recon. We talk about Dom does his daily streaming article, so I want to pick Dom's brain because I told him, you know. You know, you got SP streamer Michael Simeone, you have Nick Pollock, all these guys do their SP streaming articles. You got guys that do hitting streaming articles. You don't see a ton of relieving streamer articles, but in daily formats, that could be uber valuable. So um, what's like the, how do you go about, we'll start with the basics here. How do you, how do you go about looking for uh, reliever streamers? Because uh, before I just give you the floor, in Dom's articles, it's not just like, hey, here's a seventh inning guy. It's, hey, this closer has been used on back-to-back days. This guy might get a save today. It's little things like that that open your eyes to things. So what do you do to go about your uh, streaming thing on a day-to-day? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess the 
the first thing is so like i said i stream a couple of different things so they're they're players that play in daily transaction points leagues where they might have a cap on starts for the year mm-hmm. so the advent of the opener and bulk reliever has opened up like a, a whole new um almost like profit center of like fantasy baseball player where this this guy will pitch like a starter but not cost you a start and accumulate points like a starter so the first thing is finding which teams are using an opener for the day and trying to decipher who that bulk reliever is going to be um a lot of times teams will use their bulk reliever like a starter so if you're tracking um you know the rotowire starting pitching grid or you know the espn daily start or you're just kind of you know like um trying to think of like who was used very heavily in bulk um say for instance like i know the pirates were using a lot of bulk relievers at the end of the year so if you know like um bailey falters day was at the day after mitch keller and mitch keller pitched yesterday you can like safely assume that bailey falter is going to pitch in some capacity you know the next day after after keller and so you're just looking to see like all right have the pirates announced who's starting and is it bailey falter or is it you know whoever whoever whoever's waldo beto or whatever right so that's the first thing is like you know identifying which teams have named an opener for the day and who's going to be that bulk guy and i i think i cover that really well um between either just like monitoring um monitoring usage patterns which i do very well or just monitoring beat writers announcing hey this guy is expected to pitch bulk relief per you know the manager um so that's like the first thing because that is very valuable for for leagues like that that are um either starts capped or just straight up points leagues um then the next thing i'll do is i like teams have a tendency to um use a guy like the, the first reliever out of the pen is, is what i've termed it is uh is like how brent Suter accumulated 12 wins out of the bullpen in in 2021 i believe um the brewers had like a very um reliable usage pattern with their starters where they had starters like adrian hauser or eric lauer that would start they would go about four innings or so and then when they came out the the first guy out of the pen um brent Suter would follow adrian hauser because he was left-handed and hauser was right-handed and when lauer would come out of the game they would follow him with like um like jp fire eisen or or some or, or another right-handed reliever um Who's escaping me right now? Um, well, in that year, it wasn't Piamps. So it would have been somebody else. No, yeah. no, no. It, it was, um, I'm, I'm pretty, it was Fire Eyes in a lot. Yeah, before he got traded. Yeah. And then um, on the, the guy in the race um, who blew out his arm. Yeah, you got to narrow it down a little more. So, yeah, right. <laughs> like there's like eight. Um, Rasmussen. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. So, like, so they would use like the, opposite handedness like middle reliever right after that starter and the brewers were a good team and you kind of so i would say like all right on days where um 
like Adrian Hauser is starting, stream Brent Suter because he comes in. He's the first guy out of the pen. The Brewers often have leads. Um, Hauser's not going to qualify for a win if he gets taken out in the in the fourth inning or doesn't complete five innings. And that first guy is just racking up wins. And the back end of their bullpen is so good that they hold leads. So it was kind of like the perfect like blueprint for like a, a win is right in the middle of that game and you just need to know who's going to pitch it. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, teams haven't been as um, – like reliable in terms of the usage as as uh, Milwaukee was that year, but um, there's still been so many openers and bulk relievers that like you know every day I'm I'm giving like two or three bulk relievers. It seems like especially as the season went on, there were days where oh, I was yeah. just dropping like ten bulk relievers, and it was just like yeah, the, there's so many options. Um, so um, you know that's like the first kind of easy easy strategy is just getting bulk guys, getting wins. And the, the last component of it is streaming for saves. Um, very few closers at this point, the way teams manage their bullpens, very few relievers throw three days in a row. Um, and then if a closer has thrown, honestly, any reliever, if any reliever is thrown like three out of the last four days, they're not going to pitch that day. So, it's it's pretty easy to just monitor bullpen usage from any there you know there's a lot of bullpen usage charts just available online um so that's the first thing i'll look at is like is there a set closer that is thrown back to back days is there a set closer that is thrown three of the last four days and then especially if a closer is thrown three days in a row like they're not going to pitch that day so um that'll give you an indication like this closer is unavailable and i don't i i know that like, you know, that morning, I don't need a manager to tell me like Kenley's throwing back to back days. He's not going to be available tonight. Like I know that at 9am when I come in and look at the bolt at the usage chart. Um, so I could say like, all right, Chris Martin's going to be my spec um, to get a save tonight. Um, so th that's the last component of it is just trying to stream um, saves and that's on a daily basis. Hmm. Um and then there's a component of that where you can use it on a weekly that I, I also that's try to leverage. That's what I was wondering is how do we yeah. leverage that in weekly form? Yeah. So so for like NFBC, here's how I would I would typically do it um, heading into you know a week. Obviously, Fab runs on Sunday night. Um, just like I said, two back to back days, three of the last four. Um, you know, if say Classe is not a good example because like tito would would kind of get aggressive with his usage especially as the season went on but like say for instance josh Hader pitched saturday and sunday they have a game on monday he's not pitching the monday um so i would spec on you know whoever's behind josh Hader. um last year you know robert suarez or like stephen wilson might have been the guy i would target um and then I would also look at their schedule for the week. So like if the Padres have a seven game week, you know, haters not going to be available Monday. If he pitches on Tuesday, that will have me meant that he's pitched three of the last four days. So he's probably not going to be available on Wednesday as well. So it's kind of like, look at closers, see if they've pitched on Saturday and Sunday. And if they have a seven game week ahead, that's a great opportunity to stream, you know, the next man up behind that closer because there's a good chance that they'll be unavailable on 
both Monday and Wednesday, depending on how they're utilized in the week. Um, so that's how I leverage it for, for a weekly uh, weekly aspect for for uh, like NFBC league. So it takes a little bit more work and you, you don't have the benefit of like getting my article Monday morning because Fab runs Sunday night, but you can do your own research and and I'll sometimes do that as if like I notice a guy's pitched on Saturday, I'll kind of put a star next to their name as I'm doing my fab on Sunday night and see if they pitched on Sunday and and know like okay, um, you know, David Robertson's pitched Saturday and Sunday. I'm gonna try to stream um Adam out of Vino for this week for a buck. Well, and also, like, if you are a reliever recon person, they give a waiver wire fab thing each week, and all the at least you and Greg and one other, if not two other guys, give picks every week. And it seemed like Dom's was always like the um, he gave the example of like a Bailey Falter. He's looking for the long relief guys, the opener slash uh, back piggyback guys. So he yep. kind of points those out even beforehand, so you could bid on them and waiver wire aspects. You're not looking just for saves if you want potential cheap win or stuff like that because we always joke about everyone wants to stream pitching well sometimes middle relievers are slightly better than most uh streamed pitchers out there so that kind of thing could be uh clutch as well um one thing i wanted to ask though is you know holds is a topic that's discussed a lot more these days obviously nfbc saves only points leagues might have holds now you at least get the innings pitch the strikeouts chances for wins whatever um with holds being more important have you focused on that at all on your work or are you still focused more on the saves aspect of things my my capacity for for research <laughs> is limited to yeah, like so my leagues that i play in so when people ask me about, like so so aaron who works um who writes with us at recon does cover holds um and that has been something and you know greg t- covers holds and and solds leagues a lot as well um so there is some coverage but like honestly i i yeah. I can't focus on it just because I'm kind of like between managing my teams and research. I'm like tapped out. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's just a growing thing that I don't think NFC yeah. will ever go to, but you know what I mean? It's uh, yep. getting pretty goofy there. Um, I guess how often do you, cause you said you could kind of spec on guys that pitch Saturday, Sunday, looking for the three out of four, those type of deals on a weekly format. How often do you start taking chances on relievers? Do you, even just look at the idea, like I said, is, hey, this eighth inning guy is pitching a ton. He might run into something, and it's going to be better options than what I got on the waiver wire. Do you see yourself using a lot of that info uh, throughout the season, or is it just kind of a team-by-team type situation? I mean, like this year, I was speculating a lot. I didn't do a good job for, you know, it's kind of like uh, I'm ashamed. Like I, I think across my two main events, I think I had like three save points. Um, I just did a really bad job of drafting saves. I thought, I, I mean, I got Felix Bautista in one league and I thought um, I would just be able to be on closers a lot better than I, than I ended up being this year. Um, so, you know, I was, I found myself speculating a lot this year on um, different situations. And then I ended up, um, kind of punting saves in one of my two main events um, this year. So I, I, when the opportunities finally opened up in September, I had already kind of made the decision, like I'm only going for volume wins and strikeouts. Um, and I didn't want to kind of divert from that path. Um, so 
you know, I try to speculate where, um, like I found myself speculating a lot this year on Nick Anderson because I felt with the Reynaldo Lopez, or sorry, with the Rysel Iglesias injury at the beginning of the year with his shoulder. And like, I just always felt like he kind of would like, whenever he started to like slip up and it looked like he was teetering and his volume was down, I was like, I'm going to grab Nick Anderson because the Braves are so good. He's been pretty good. And I just felt like Rysel Iglesias was kind of banged up and um, it just didn't materialize this year for me. Um, and, and really for, for very few people did it materialize. So um, it's, it's hard to say, I guess that that trigger point for me is like when I notice like, you know, the closer kind of starting to slip up and there's a guy behind him with elite skills. Um, I'll try to get ahead of the game in terms of like yeah, speculating before he actually gets that job. Um, but it's, it's tough, right? It's tough. Um, you can, you can do that. Like I did that with Justin Lawrence. I did that with Carlos Fernandez this year and we all know how that, how that yeah. turned out. So um, I'll try, but it's, it's challenging. Yeah, but I, I think that's a, that's another resource from these like the daily articles that Dom does, and obviously the closer chart that that Greg has is uh, you can get try to get like a week or two ahead of those guys. You get them for a buck instead of at least when they fail, you lost a dollar compared to what some of these other guys are doing, where it just it really stings when they're spending big time dollars on yeah. picking up the, them because they're now in the closing roles via trade or just bad performance or something like that. So. Yep. Any final thoughts on your streaming uh, aspect of the game, or do you want to go team by team? No, let's go team by team. All right. So I, I told Dom, and he's like, he, I, I laughed because he kicked butt on this this outline. He said it was good for him to uh, kind of get everything down on paper. But what I wanted to do was just kind of go team by team if it was relevant. Not every team is going to be relevant, but maybe potential sleepers, potential like late round DC guys, just guys keep an eye on if, say, you know, a closer falters or they get traded or something. So it's really early. A lot can change, but it's a fun talking point, especially with already seeing, you know, Rysel Iglesias, or not Rysel, uh, Ronaldo Lopez, you had him on my mind going somewhere. Nick Anderson's moved. Barlow's moved. We're already mm-hmm. seeing pieces move. Josh Hader's rumored to get traded. So these kind of things can at least get your, your mind straight as you start going into some of these early drafts. So we'll go American League first. It's going to be alphabetical order. So Baltimore Orioles, obviously, your first thing here is uh, Batista's out for the year. So what do you got for the uh, – Orioles front because there's a lot of interesting chatter if you follow Orioles beat writers these days. Yeah, yeah. So you know, obviously Bautista had an awesome year, um, but he's non-factor for next year. So um, you know, Cano was a big surprise. Um, he came out of the the gates like real red hot, um, but those like big strikeout rates that he had early in the season kind of faded as the season went on and, and kind of like everything that was going well for him, like heavy ground ball rate that, that started to dissipate as well. Um, you know, he's, he's been around for a while between the twins and now um, Orioles. So like he feels younger than he is. I think he's like 29. Mm-hmm. So he's not like a young guy. Um, and then, you know, this quote that came out, uh, a couple weeks ago from the GM, he basically said like, um, we really, and I put the quote in my notes, but we really want to get another back end reliever. And maybe that guy is the closer. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know, not the biggest vote of confidence for Cano. You would love that he would come out and be like, 
yeah, Cano's the guy while Bautista's out, but that wasn't the case. Um, so I, you know, and I, and I put like Kim, I think Kimber would be like an interesting fit here because, Definitely. you know, he, he wants to close, like he wants the ball in the ninth inning. He wants saves like that. That's, you know, he's probably padding his Hall of Fame candidacy with every save that he gets. So I think that's like the utmost importance for him. Um, and that is probably a great fit given the park, given the team context, given the fact that they have Bautista coming back in a year and they only really need a one year stopgap. So, like, as great as like Hader and Bautista in the back of the, you know, back end of games would be, they, I think it's the more likely scenario is like a one year stopgap. And there's plenty of um, veteran guys that have done the job that could fill that role. Kimbrell, David Robertson, guys like that, that could probably just be a one year deal. So I like that Kimbrell call. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my view in terms of like the Cano aspect and what they're going to do next year um, from a DC target perspective, like, I really like DL Hall, like the pitcher, the skills that he shows. He obviously only pitched in relief in the majors last year. Um, he was very, you know, very good. 28% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. Um, you know, got into 02 on 30% of his counts. Um, so, you know, pretty elite stuff from him. Um, the other, but I don't know if he's going to pitch in the in relief. Like he's a very talented arm. I think they might want to see if they can get him as a starter first before kind of fully um, residing to the fact that he's a reliever. So I I've liked picking him up. I think he is a good kind of guy to target in DCs and take him whatever role he might get. That might be a closer. It might be a starter. It might be kind of a swingman. Um, Tyler Wells is another guy where obviously he was starting last year. Um, seemed to like run out of gas. Um, he, when he came up with the Orioles, he was a reliever and was getting saves. So if they get enough starting pitching this off season, maybe he's part of their bullpen mix as well. So I think he's another interesting DC target there, but, uh, a lot to be determined there for what should be a good team. Yeah, the Cano thing, I, I, I'm fully on board with you. When I saw those quotes, I was like, what in the world? Okay, that's not promising. But you mentioned Holland and Wells. Those are two names that I keep seeing in drafts. And I'm like, what role are we getting? Because Wells was decent as a starter. Then he, like you said, ran out of gas. He hit his innings limit, like more than he's ever pitched. Went to the minors, came back, though, was filthy out of the bullpen. Mm -hmm. So that was that was fun to see as well. So really, I am really, I'm with you. I'm curious to see how like we could see these guys easily back in bullpen guys or fourth, fifth starters. No yep. one would be surprised in those two scenarios, which – where they're going in DCs, either one's probably not that big a deal. So mm -hmm. works out pretty well. Let's go to the Boston Red Sox. They have an ancient closer that I I, I love because he's always late later in drafts and he's you know the ratios aren't what they used to be, but the dude yep. still racks up twenty five to thirty saves on the regular. Like that's what mm -hmm. you're you're getting them for. So what do you got in the Boston Red Sox? Yeah, Kenley. You know I think it's his job until he gets hurt or you know gets traded. Um, like you said, his skills are eroding. He's he had the lowest strikeout rate of his career this year. Um and that was kind of to be expected with how slow he works. Um and the clock change, you know, and everything like that. But still, 29 saves, 363 ERA. He's going late. 
he's he's 35. I mean, he feels a lot older than he than he really is. Um, but the one thing that I think is noteworthy is um, he's set to be a free agent after this year. And so um, I just, you know, if a team is out of it, you saw this with ha- with every every reliever at the trade deadline this year on an expiring deal. If their team wasn't in the, you know, competing, they're going to get traded. So that's the one thing to consider with Kenley is he could be a trade candidate if Boston finds themselves out of it again. Um, the guy I'm taking in DCs is Chris Martin. The problem is he's also on an expiring contract, but um, you know, like all of his metrics, he outperformed Kenley last year. ERA, FIP, first uh, first pitch strike percentage, O2 rate walk rate um you know he did have a really high strand rate 94 percent, but um you know his fip and xfip were still like 2.4 and 2.9 so underlying stats indicate he's still very very good um you know super ground ball heavy lean um so i, I like him i think you know kenley's obviously always a health risk um so I like taking him late. He's he's going very late, so I have no problem speculating on him there. Um, other guys to consider, I think the Garrett Whitlock as a starter, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, like I think that thing is is gone. I think yeah. he he's now he's better he's best served in the bullpen. Um, I hope they realize that like he can't hold up, his body just doesn't hold up that over that type of workload but he can be a really good reliever um so and then john schreiber is another guy i think um could do really well in the role so those are two guys that i'm, I'm i haven't looked at their adp particularly but i'm sure they're relatively late stabs that you can take a shot considering the two guys that are ahead of them in the pecking order are, are uh, on expiring deals um we have whitlock's around 377 right now and <laughs> yeah uh, well, I think I spelled that wrong. Give me a second here. Uh, Schreiber, yeah, I did spell that wrong. Yeah, Schreiber's uh, 740. So, yeah, there we he go. Is, he's free. He's free. Yep, enjoy <laughs> it. It's close to the other guys. I typed it wrong, so that works out well. Now, let's go to a team that might win 40 games this year, and that's the Chicago White Sox. So, if you feel like getting a closer or a back and reliever, you can, but you know, what do you have here on a team that's just complete hot garbage? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really see anybody in their bullpen that's projected to be right now. And and granted, they could go and grab a couple of guys in free agency and try to stack up their bullpen that way. Um, but, you know, Santos, I think, is the best shot for saves. Um, none of his skills particularly stand out to me. Like, um, you know, 23% strikeout rate. Six percent walk rate. It's fine. I think. I think it's fine. Um, he doesn't really stand out, but he's young. He's twenty three, so maybe there's um, some room to grow for him. Um, but other than that, I do, I don't really see anybody in their, their projected bullpen as it stands now on roster resource that I would be inclined <laughs> to grab. The one interesting one would be Michael Kopak if they decide that. He's best served in the bullpen. Um, he's another guy. Just doesn't seem like his body no. is going to hold up as a starter. Um, 
maybe he is a guy that could really flourish in the bullpen. I, I struggle with that word flourish because I just, you know, he seems to get in his own head a lot. And uh, that, that type of makeup doesn't really typically do so well at the end of games when pressure's on the line. Um, he's the one guy I would consider, but you have to pay a starting price tag for him. But he's kind of like a guy like DL Hall, though, where it's like if if he's at a point in the draft where he's interesting to you and you can take whatever he's going to give you, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever, he's actually his ADP in it's almost 500. right? Yeah, now. I just looked at that 500. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so he's, that's he's a guy like, yeah, he's a guy like DL Hall where you just draft him to be part of your rotation. If he's starting and he has good matchups and it's a two-start week and he's doing well you put him in if he's in the bullpen and somehow you know he's he's doing well maybe he um generates some saves for you so that's not a bad one no i like that because he does have the stuff to be an elite like or not, maybe not elite but a very good one inning guy just go out there and pump gas like he can mm-hmm. do that throw a little off speed if you can figure it out but yeah he's not made for starting these days it's very clear Cleveland Guardians, you mentioned Classe earlier. What do you have here? Because yeah, uh, it was a people got frustrated with Classe last year, even though he still collected all the saves. Strikeouts were obviously rough because I had him in a lot of places. But yeah. um, what do you got yeah. in Cleveland? Yeah, well, I think I think the good thing is I'll start going a little faster. I think the first couple of teams were interesting closing spots. Classe, I, I think he has a stranglehold on the role. Um, his strikeout rate obviously took a dive in twenty twenty three. Um, seemed to lose a feel on his slider. Um, his swinging strike rate on the pitch really dropped this year. But, um, you know, Cleveland plays in close games. Um, and that volume has really offset any, like, skill erosion that he's given you. So, like, what he lacks in strikeouts, he kind of made up for in, like, just getting exclusively all their save opportunities. The one thing that's kind of changing obviously is their manager um we don't know how steven vote is going to manage his bullpen so tito was very linear and class a was getting everything um does vote kind of mix and match and then the one telling thing for me is the fact that cleveland who's notoriously extremely cheap um traded for scott barlow and they're I think his projected arbitration salary was like is like 7.5 million bucks this year. So the fact that they traded for this guy and are willing to pay 7.5 million bucks for him um, tells me that he's likely to be the next guy up if anything were to happen to Class A. Um, granted, maybe they just look at him as a trade chip and they say, okay, that 7.5 million is only 3.75, and then we're going to trade him for somebody's elite prospect at the trade deadline next year. Maybe that's the case, and they were just taking advantage of the fact that San Diego was shedding um, payroll. But um, to me, that that was an interesting move. I did not expect Cleveland, of all teams, to trade for Barlow. Big-time shocker. For that yeah. team doesn't spend money. Didn't see yeah. that one coming. That and I, I mean, they have a good bullpen. Like They have yeah. Trevor Stefan. They have... Sam Hentges, they have, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't like Karinchak, but if you're still a believer, um, <laughs> he's there. Um, so, you know, they have a loaded bullpen, but I think Classe Stranglehold, and I think Barlow is definitely the next man up. All right, let's go to the Detroit Tigers. We uh, Alex Lang somehow kept the job pretty much most of the season, which people didn't expect. No. But uh, what do you have here? Because I found myself looking at two different late 
round Tigers pitchers throughout draft. Okay. All right. Yeah. So Lang, I didn't, I didn't have him anywhere last year. I didn't think he would hold on to the the role, but um, you know, he he hung on for 26 saves. Um, I was very concerned about his inability to throw strikes, and he really didn't do anything to you know scare you know to like quell those fears um he was in 3-0 counts eight percent of his at bats last year which is extremely high that's a big reason why he had a 16 percent walk rate um it just felt like every time he failed this goes back to what we were talking about with like the streaming like it felt like every time he like had a meltdown um the next guy like jason foley i thought had much better skills and he did have much better skills across the board from everything but saves um like Foley was like unavailable because Foley had pitched like three straight days or something like that so like and so Lang would get the next opportunity and he would like pull it back together and and get a save so um I felt like he always hung on to his role in spite of his performance last year just pure purely by like happenstance um so I I I think Foley has decent enough skills to be a closer, but he lacks the big strikeout stuff. Um, but he makes up for that in like a heavy ground ball lean. Um, so I will still not I, I will still not bet on on Alex Lang next year. To you know, I'm not going to draft him anywhere. It's just I'm a big proponent on like the best best way to lose your job as a reliever is to walk guys and he does that more than any closer um that has like a quote-unquote secure role so i like fully skills um i am i'm fully fading lang yeah i had some shares of lang last year i'll take it and i'll run and not do it again uh fully and then vest will vest is the other thing i'm looking at a lot because vest is going super late like yeah fully goes slightly before vest fully's going at 528 and Vest is going at 633. Okay. So um, I think Vest maybe has the better strikeout stuff, but Foley has the closer chance at the job. So I like, yep. like both kind of darts and, yeah. and when all things are said and done. This is the kind of one. Yeah, and I think I think Detroit will be a lot better as a team next 100% year. 100% agree with you. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, Houston Astros, this seems pretty cut and dry here. Yeah, straightforward. Uh, you know, Presley, until he gets hurt, it's his job. The one thing I noted was that he had his lowest strikeout rate since joining the Astros this year at 27.6%. So, um, you know, if you think that that is a notable trend, that is something that I noticed. But, um, you know, he's still getting the job done. Um, 31 saves, one of the best teams in baseball. Um, you know, he, I don't think he's going to lose his job because of performance. It's just going to be because um, of injury if that occurs. And if that does happen, I like Brian Abreu as the handcuff. And he's going. He, he's popular enough to get drafted in gladiators. I've seen him yeah, get drafted lot. in a couple of gladiators so far. Yeah. 331 uh, DC ADP, but the gladiators thing makes sense. Um, you know, and Presley's good for at least one or two IL stents a year. So you got that going yeah. for you. Yeah. And he's actually, he's going 282 in gladiators. So, you know, yeah. for those unfamiliar, gladiator is 23 round draft. Um, it's a draft and your you team your, is you to fill you your drafted. roster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, ratios, strikeouts, and the, the potential for um, ancillary or, um, you know, save handcuff from Brayu on such a good team makes him valuable in that format, or I guess sought after in that format. 
for sure. It's going to Kansas City Royals, which seems like it's always a revolving door. Yeah. Um, so this has gotten pretty interesting uh, as of you know the last week with the trade of um, Nick Anderson to to the Royals. I think um, James MacArthur was a you know popular popular um, target for some teams early in draft season. I, I saw him really start to go at interesting points in the draft. Um, like I think round like 14, I've saw him go as early as, um, you know, Anderson and MacArthur had similar skills last year, like, um, almost identical strikeout rate. Um, MacArthur was a little better on the walk rate. Um, the, the thing is, you know, you didn't get that much of a sample from MacArthur in terms of workload. He only pitched 18 big league innings last year. So, um, but he ended the year getting saves for the Royals. So the prevailing thought was, okay, he's the guy for next year. Now it's a little more interesting with Anderson in the fold. Um, but the problem with Anderson is, has been throughout his entire career has been health. So, um, I think, and I heard uh, Rob talking about this on his pod with um, Randy Haynes uh, over the weekend. I could see them both kind of falling to the same level where Anderson's going to move up, MacArthur's going to fall. They're probably going to go in like the 20 to 23 range. And um, at that point, you got to pick who you want. Um, I think Anderson probably gets the first crack, but it's tough to bet on his health. So it might be good to grab both if you can. Man, MacArthur's like a 257 and, and Anderson's after 700 right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, no, no. I'm sure Anderson, like if, if we look up Anderson in uh, gladiators, I'm sure. So yeah. So Anderson has gone in two gladiators. He's gone 301 and 324. That's fair. Um, yeah, so you know that's kind of where the range you can feel that he's going in now. Um, in terms of like for a late DC pick, John McMillan is um, somebody I was very interested in. He had 91 strikeouts in 51 and a third um, pro innings last year, and he made his way up to the majors, um, but he had a forearm injury. Um, he also had like 10 saves in single A and double A. So he's gotten that closing experience in the minors, which I like to see um, just selfishly, like, or in my personal opinion, like I like guys that have shown the ability to close out games. Cause it's just a, it's a different animal than pitching at different points in the game. So the fact that he came up and was getting saves in the minors um, was encouraging to me, but um, obviously things need to, you know get cleared in terms of the forearm so but that's an interesting name for dcs yep i like it let's go to the angels here where estevez kept his job all year but um mm -hmm. we'll see what he does this year what do you got yeah um i looked at their bullpen i don't really see anybody that would compete for the role at least to start the season um yeah. they gave him a two-year deal they are going to be very bad next year i don't see why they would start giving somebody who's likely to be um, either in arbitration or pre-arbitration saves that would make them more expensive. They will have Estevez close out games and then he's on an expiring deal. So he could be a trade candidate if um, somebody seeks him at the trade deadline. Cause I think we all 
agree the Angels will not be a competitive team next year. So that is the one concern with Estevez is could only be you could only be paying for half a year of saves. Um, I found myself getting him in Gladiators just because he's going so late. But um, you know, researching for this pod kind of made me uh, you know take a second and say, hey, am I taking him a little too early given the fact that I'm likely only paying for half a year of saves? I doubt he'll be a closer wherever he goes, but maybe, maybe he does. Um, the one thing is that's interesting um, with, with him is he had a 344 BABIP last year in Anaheim, which I think the prevailing thought was him getting out of Coors will be good for his BABIP. Um, you know, he's still, he's still like he had – peaks and valleys but like the end result of his year 39 era 31 saves um obviously the whip was pretty bad 149 but like um i don't know he was only in 30 counts 6% of the time he was in 02 counts 36% of the time um you have to think that that babip is going to come down a little bit and and probably help him out a little on the whip side um and probably the era side as well so um i don't I don't hate where he's going. He's like, he feels like he's the last guy that has a surefire closing role that's going in drafts right now. That's at least my perception of when I'm doing, when I'm drafting. Yep. I've taken Estevez in both my DC and my 50. I think DC, I don't know, 50 for sure. Cause of, like you said, the price tag to a guy, at least for the first half of the year is going to be locked in the saves. I'll take my chances on that one. I think there's yeah. something there, but We'll see. Do you believe uh, you did mention Joyce on the alley? Do you believe yeah. in him? Because I can't buy no. in just yet. No, um, he he was rushed, right? Like he he was drafted in 2022. He pitched 30 minor league innings, and then he got rushed up with a bunch of the Angels guys last year as they were just trying to grasp at every straw they could um, to be competitive while they had Otani. So, like, I think. He, he was kind of a um a victim of of that of that like otani pressure was that they just rushed him along um he had you know high double digit walk rates in the minors and so he wasn't ready for big league action and he showed that like 20 uh 20 strikeout rate and a 19 percent walk rate um i don't i don't think they're gonna send him down to start next year i think maybe he's just gonna have to work that out in the majors but um i don't know until he gets the walks under control he's not fantasy viable to me yep that's fair enough let's talk minnesota twins duran's a beast but you mentioned a couple guys that i've had a lot of last year let alone looking forward to this year as well yeah yeah so i think you know duran is it's his job until further notice but um you know, you, you can't. Uh, what's what's his name? Manager in Minnesota, uh, Rocco Baldelli. Yeah, Rocco's gonna kind of drive your, you know, drive you nuts for, from a fantasy perspective. Yep. Um, and they have a loaded bullpen of guys that like throw gas, have awesome, you know, awesome stuff. Jax is a ground ball machine. He can't get squared up at all. Um, I think his like, I think his um ground ball rate is like 72% on his sinker. Um, and you just can't do anything with, with that pitch. And then Brock Stewart, he was injured, but like he has 
some pretty crazy swing strike rates on on his pitches 26 percent swing strike rate on his fastball 21 percent on his sweeper 23 percent on his sinker 15 percent on his cutter like that's um that's crazy stuff so i've grabbed stewart late in a bunch in a bunch of my dcs just because um that those swinging strike rates are nasty and even if he's not getting saves he'll be um useful at points in the season in dcs where um you know I don't like my starting pitching matchups or I have injuries or, or whatever. So a guy like that with stuff like that is definitely uh, DC viable. Yeah. I had Jack's everywhere last year in DCs and uh, Stewart fits them old. Stewart's going to six sixty six right now. Don't take that the wrong way, <laughs> but um, yeah, those are just great late round guys that can just fill your roster up. And when you get injuries in pitching, they're nice to be able to plug in. That's for darn yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. New York Yankees. I agree with your sentiments on Clay Holmes. So what do you have here? Yeah, um, I just there's not a viable threat to his job. I mean, I know um, I, I I don't really roster him that much. I don't feel like, but um, I'm sure like the end result of his stats are better than the the process of like having him on your team for a full season because he loses control of his pitches at times and he and he struggles, but then he pulls it back together. Um, another guy like Jacks, you know super ground ball heavy i think he's only given up i think he only gave up two home runs last year like it's very hard to square up it's just um when he loses his feel loses the feel for his pitches that's when he struggles but he always seems to pull it back together and really like there's no threats to him um tommy canely and uh jonathan lawaisiga are like really the only two guys in the bullpen right now lawaisiga's strikeouts have completely gone away like i was actually surprised to see he's been in the major since 2018 um he had a 30 percent strikeout rate in 2018 it's down to 8.7 percent last year i just don't know where that's gone um i don't think it should be that low based on like his swinging strike rates but it's just gone down precipitously um over the last couple of years and he's dealt with injuries he's kind of a smaller guy so um i don't know until he gets that back i just don't don't really see him being a factor um canely is a weird weird profile he's like change up heavy um he throws his change up like 76 percent of the time it's just very strange profile plus he's been hurt so much and um just really like his skills don't don't stand out. They're very similar to Holmes, but even a worse walk rate. So um, I think I think it's Holmes's role, despite the peaks and valleys that you have as you know having him on your roster. Yep, feel the same way with you on Holmes. Oakland A's. The thing I would say is just don't draft an A's pitcher slash closer. Yeah, really. yeah. I mean, uh, the three guys that I think could be entering the year as the closer. Um, Danny Jimenez, Zach Jackson, Lucas Ursig, I think that's how you say it. Um, all had double digit walk rates last year. Like they're so bad that it's just a terrible team context. I know Trevor May, you know, towards the end of the year started racking up saves, but I don't know. I've taken Danny Jimenez late in a few DCs. He's lasted like in into the forties. I'm fine with him there, but I wouldn't target anybody in their bullpen for saves at all if it's yep. a fault you know if, if it's filling up a roster and it's late you can you can take the shot but i'm not i'm not seeking any of them 
Yeah, don't force it. That's the one thing I'll say. Yeah. Like, I'd rather take chances on some guys in the Seattle Mariners bullpen after mm-hmm. Andres Munoz. And this is a yep. this is a fun bullpen. I took uh, three of the guys you mentioned after Munoz here. I took two of the three in my last draft. So what are you liking here? Yeah, so Munoz, I obviously he's dealt with a bunch of injuries in his career, including last year. I think he had, like, a foot injury and, like, some other kind of, you know. So I kind of... Obviously, it was a step back from what he showed in 2022, um, but he was still pretty good. And obviously, they cleared the pathway for him to get the main save share with Seawald gone. So I kind of just, you know, imagine like a totem pole. And I think like Seawald was at the top of that and Munoz was a high leverage guy. I just think like Munoz is going to go to that Seawald role next year. Brash is going to continue or kind of step into that Munoz, like highest leverage guy role. so that's just how I envision it. Munoz is on the team-friendly deal. So, um, you know, him getting saves isn't going to change anything salary-wise, which is even more of a reason for him to just get the exclusive, you know, save ops. Um, you know, Brash might occasionally get um, a save if Munoz is used, you know, for a three, four, five lineup pocket in the eighth inning. But I imagine that Munoz will have the majority of this team's saves. Um, Brash actually outperformed Munoz last year, though. Higher yeah. strikeout rate, lower walk rate. Um, and he did that over 78 appearances, which made him very valuable and even, you know, in fab leagues, um, despite not really having a handle on the save role, like 107 strikeouts in 70 innings. Um, in weeks where the Mariners were playing seven games, he was a very viable starting pitcher in Fab Leagues because you could bank on three appearances that week, and that would typically translate to about six or seven strikeouts, which is better than what you could stream from a starter um, on the wire last year. So he is viable in gladiator formats. He's viable. Uh, he should be... an a relatively early DC. He should go ahead of some closers in DCs. So, um, yeah, I think he had nine wins and four saves and a 306 ERA. So I just think he's going to contribute to your team despite not being a, uh, you know, closer. And then if Munoz does happen, something happens to Munoz, I think Brash will take over that role or we'll have a, a big chunk of saves in that role. Um, uh, two other guys I noted, Justin Topa and Prelander Baroa. Um, you know, Topa is just like a very solid reliever that, um, you know, ground ball, heavy um, sinker, heavy profile, um, just, you know, throw strikes, um, has good ratios. And then Baroa is just like um, complete, you know, Big, big stuff um, arm. Um, the only thing with Baroa is, uh, you know, as you can expect with somebody like him with huge stuff, it comes with a big walk rate. So, um, you know, he had a 14% walk rate in double A, but a 37% strikeout rate. So you kind of get that the feel for like what kind of profile you're working with. But he also started some games in double A um, and that was, like as a starter. So he's another guy like DL Hall, um, like Kopech, where he's going late in DCs. You just grab him and, 
you kind of take whatever role he's in. Um, he made it up to the majors last year and pitched in, I think, two games. So I think it's safe to assume that if he doesn't open the season in the bullpen, he'll be up pretty early. Completely agree. Brash and Barrow were the two I took in my recent one. I think I actually tweeted out that I quote tweeted a pitching ninja gif of Brash. I said, this is your Mariners 2024 saves leader. I think mm. he's, he's that darn good. So uh, mm. the fact that Munoz and DCs is going around 90 and Brash is going at 310, I will take that gap all day long. Brash should be a yeah. guy in gladiators, honestly. Like that's yeah. a, a good yep. one right there. Yeah, agreed. All right, Tampa Bay Rays, the revol- we said revolving door somewhere else already. This is the place where it's weird. I'll say this much before you take over, is they do use a lot of closers, but in the end, every year, it feels like there's still one main guy. It's just he gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. Change. So what's your thoughts on Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, if you look, like the, their saves, I think I think the only two guys that got more than one save last year were Adam and Fairbanks. So, like, I know it's a uh, a common you know, trope that like cash, you know, doesn't have a closer and he spreads it out. But like the last couple of years, when, when he has a guy that he can trust for that ninth inning, I think he prefers to have just the one guy and he'll mix a match leading up to that point. Um, but um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, Fairbanks and Adam both had great years, but like you said, both spent time on the IL. Um, anyone can pop in this bullpen. So it's really hard to say like, I think Colin Pochet is going to, you know, have the best year of his career. Um, they pick up guys, Robert Stevenson, they pick up guys off the street and turn them into 30% strikeout rate relievers. Um, so, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, I guess the, the one guy I would speculate on in their bullpen, if you're not, if you're, you know, either you have Fairbanks and or Adam and you just want more guys in that bullpen in case they get hurt. I, I would say um, Andrew Kitteridge is the one guy I would consider um, just because he's done it before. Um, he's, you know, he came back late in the season, pitched 14 games. Um, you know, all the skills look pretty good. He was in 02 counts, 42% of his at bats was in three Oh counts, only 2% of the time. First pitch strike was 70%. Um, you know, he doesn't have the upside that Fairbanks and Adam have with like their strike like with their strikeout stuff compared to his, but I think he can be a reliable reliever for them at the back end of games. For sure. So the 2023 World Series champion Rangers, who somehow Jose LeClerc ended the season as a closer there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I told everybody that like um as the playoffs went on, I was like, oh, Hader's definitely going to sign in for Texas next year. Because I didn't think that Texas would win the whole thing. But I was like, you know, they made good steps. And Hader's a free agent. And he just, they they need bullpen help. Um, but, you know, they pulled it together when it mattered, right? Um, LeClerc, his velo, you know, improved as the season went on. Um, I guess that he, he had, he started the season with the neck injury. Um, and I guess as he was feeling better, um, you know, that velo started coming back. Um, sliders is sick. His slider is elite. Um, so the interesting with him thing, interesting thing with him is another guy. Um, I can't believe that he signed a six year extension, like, um, after his like first year and he's now in the last year of that contract. So, 
which is crazy. I was like, how is that possible? But um, so he's in the last year of his contract. So if the Rangers don't replicate their performance, he could be a guy that you see on the move. Um, Josh Spores obviously, you know, excelled in the playoffs as well. He had very similar metrics to LeClerc last year, just in terms of like strikeout rate. Um, he had a better walk rate, um, similar FIP. Um, obviously his ERA looks a lot worse on the regular season, but you saw how he performed in the playoffs. So, you know, he's somebody that is interesting. Um, another, you know, elite slider, um, guy. Um, I still think Hader would be like a really good fit for them, but I think they might be less inclined to pay the Hader price tag, given the fact that they just won the world series. Like what, why do they, why would they need to do that? Um, so that might not come to fruition anymore, but um, I don't know. I, I guess just given his contract situation, um, I'm a little hesitant to say like, yes, I am very confident he's going to be the closer for the whole year. Um, but I don't think you have to pay that price tag right now. I think he's going in like the 15th round or so. Um, so maybe other people, have that hesitation as well with Leclerc. Yeah, um, 220 ADP. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, and then in, in terms of the late DC guy there, Grant Anderson is a guy. Um, he had 30% strikeout rates throughout the minors. Um, he had a 38.3% strikeout rate in AAA before he got promoted to the majors. He has really good fastball, um, 18% swinging strike rate on, on it in the majors, but it's not high velo it's only like 93 miles an hour but he had that throughout the minors as well so it's not like a fluke thing he's got a really good fastball um it's just a matter of throwing it more for strikes um but i'm sure he's going insanely late where not even drafted yet yeah so he's a guy that given like i said given the leclerc situation if they don't sign anybody i could see him kind of working his way up into potential saves um later in the season if the rangers don't you know replicate last year's performance all right let's wrap up the american league and head to the toronto blue jays who have one man in charge yeah romano and it's it's a lot like presley um i think it's his job until he gets hurt he's on a good team always seems to get the job done but you kind of always in the back of your head feel like is he about to get hurt um, you know, 2022, he had his like elbow, weird elbow injury. And then last year, uh, at the all-star break, he had his back injury. So I think Swanson, uh, Eric Swanson and, um, Yumi Garcia are both like competent handcuffs with, um, similar like underlying metrics. I think I prefer Swanson, but I think both are decent, um, late stabs. If you know, you miss the boat on saves or you just want to back Romano up. Yep, I like that quite a bit, especially the Swanson call there. Been a fan of his for a while. Let's head to the National League, where you have the National League champion Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, so I look at it like this. like The, the D-backs went through so much um, turmoil trying to find a closer last year in the first half of the season. They gave up um, Dom Canzone and Ryan Bliss to get Seawald from the Mariners, so... Um, those are pretty, I would say, like valuable pieces from for an organizational standpoint. So the fact that they gave up that much to get him, I think they're going to sign him to an extension because um, 
he is in he is also another guy in an expiring contract but i you know he's a guy that went over to i believe he went over to korea um came over back to the mets then got uh i guess he got released and then got signed by the Mariners. so you know i'm sure he's looking for a big contract and some security and um i see no reason why the d-backs wouldn't give that to him so I, I imagine that deal gets done this offseason, but if they don't, you have to just consider that. Like, are the D-backs going to trade him at the deadline again? And if so, um, you know, Kevin Ginkle was really good in, in the playoffs. Um, so he's somebody I've seen getting drafted in Gladiators. I've seen him getting pretty high in DCs. Um, I don't necessarily – I think, you know, I would need to see more out of Ginkle um before i really feel like he is a threat to seawald's role and is a threat to really get saves but um so yeah long-winded way of saying i think seawald is very safe yeah and the way seawald and his family fit in in arizona you saw that tracked all over twitter and instagram that i could see him wanting to settle down there too so yeah there might be a there might be a nice little agreement in place there the Atlanta Braves, um, you know, Iglesias, he gets hurt a lot, but he's been good. And then they added Ronaldo Lopez, who reports came out, so they might stretch him out to be a long Yeah. Run. So weird stuff there. So how do you approach this Brave situation? Yeah, so he he's an example, going back to what we were talking about, just streaming. Like, if they're going to stretch him out and use, like, an opener ahead of him or something like that, um, he could be an interesting guy because, obviously, the Braves are going to be a 100-win team. And so, you know, if he's pitching multi-innings behind an opener, he – immediately becomes one of my main targets in those leagues where, you know, I have start caps or points leagues or, or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, Iglesias started the year on the aisle with the injury. Like I said, um, I think he's secure in the role. He's signed for the next two years. Um, they've accumulated a lot of competition behind him. If, you know, that shoulder injury pops back up, but um, you know, just another guy where, he even though the skills are slipping um he's getting the job done on a very good team i just see no reason why they would ever rock the boat unless things really really went sideways or the in injury happens um if either of those things were to happen i like obviously aj minter got 10 saves while iglesias was out um and joe jimenez and ronaldo lopez both guys with 30% strikeout rates. I think they both have the job, the stuff that to take over the job, but um, Iglesias is safe. Yeah. Uh, he's very safe. Mentor, not a bad secondary option. Mm -hmm. Agreed there. Uh, Chicago Cubs. I'm a big Alzale fan. The late injury did not make me feel warm and fuzzy. But yep. what do you think of this Cubs bullpen? There's, they always seem to just kind of trade guys in, in and out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think he's the favorite. Um, forearm injury late in the season definitely worries me, but he did come back and, um, you know, he ended the season on the mound getting saved. So I think that can make you feel a little, a little better about it. Um, I think Julian Merriweather is like a serviceable backup to him, but um, health has always been the issue with, with Merriweather. Um, so, and the thing about Alzale is like, um the he he like embraced what the cubs asked him to do where like 
he was a starter. They wanted him to go to the bullpen and he just like embraced that. And I think like them giving him the job was kind of like um, their way of like acknowledging the fact that he like bought into what they asked him to do. And the fact that he did well makes me think like they're going to keep him in that role. Now, the one thing that is a little concerning, I would say, is they're talking about like really spending um, this offseason. And there are a bunch of um, closers on the market. So, you know, if they really go balls to the wall and say, like, we're going to spend money and improve this team, and part of that is include in, improving our bullpen greatly, which was um, a bit of an issue for them last year, maybe that means they're bringing in a more experienced closer that kind of um, takes the job away from Alzelay. But until that happens, uh, I, I'm comfortable drafting Alzelay as if he's the closer on an improving team. Well, that makes me feel much better. Um, Cincinnati Reds, Alexis Diaz. I was completely wrong on him last season outside of the fact he still walks a bunch of people. Yeah. But I did not see 37 saves coming. So what's your thoughts on this Reds bullpen? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're, you know, alone in that thought. Like, um, you know, they their bullpen usage was maddening. They they refused to commit to a single closer for, for years. And, um, but, you know, some of these uh some of these guys are finally coming around to um doing that right like brandon hyde and david bell both were notorious like bullpen by committee guys and then until somebody shows that they have the skills to just take the the job and run with it then they finally let them have it so like you know obviously um handed the job outright produced 37 saves like you said 12.6% 12.6% walk rate is less than ideal, especially in that park, but um, he only gave up four home runs last year. So um, if you're, you're not giving up homers, the walk rate doesn't hurt you that bad, especially if you're striking out 30% of your batters. Um, I think, you know, he's not his brother, but he's good. Um, and there's not a ton of competition there. Like nobody's, nobody's knocking on the door uh, behind him. So you know, he's very safe. Yep. I'm with you there. Let's go Colorado Rockies. It was like the Oakland athletics of. Yeah. Don't Rosen. care. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're uh, yeah. Like, I mean, Daniel Barr is a complete disaster. More, more walks than strikeouts last year. Um, it's really between Justin Lawrence and Tyler, Tyler Kinley, but uh, ne- neither guy uh, like stands out to me. And so I, I would just okay. avoid. Yep, I'm with you. Now, the Dodgers, this is a good one because parts of the year they just kept going back and forth with dudes. Felt like Phillips got it towards the end of the season, but there are options in that bullpen. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, they're another team that obviously is talking about spending a lot of money, um, improving, you know, if they go after Otani, if they get Trout, um, you know, trading for pitching, Corbin Burns. With all these, you know, targets, I think that's good for, like, if you're – trying to speculate on their bullpen. I think they're, you know, shopping in those other big ponds is going to leave them not really investing in their bullpen. And they shouldn't. Like, they have young, cheap, controllable pitchers that are are very good. Um, So Phillips, he doesn't have the huge strikeout numbers that you'd like from, like, a dominant closer, but 
he throws strikes. He has good ratios, um, and he's on the Dodgers, which are one of the best teams in baseball. So I think it'll be very similar to last year where he's going to have 75% of their saves. Um, the one thing to note that I found interesting was he had a really, really low BABIP, which is something that I feel like most Dodgers pitchers have. Like he had a 219 BABIP, but he's he's had a BABIP in that range for like three years. So it must just be part of his profile where he does not allow a lot of hard contact, which is good since he lacks a lot of strikeouts. So um, if he keeps his ratios that way, you know, you don't really care how you get there. Um, the one thing is Gratterall, like he, his numbers were like just as good, if not better than Phillips. He gets a lot more ground balls. Um, so he has even less strikeout stuff than Phillips, but like he had a better FIP, but a lower walk rate was in O2 counts more often, um, had a higher first pitch strike rate allowed less home runs and had a 1.2 ERA, which kind of blew my mind. I, I didn't realize that Gratterall had such a good ERA. Um, and Gratterall is only 24 years old, which is also crazy because he does not, he feels like he's been in the majors for like seven Forever. years. Yeah. So um, if anything happens to Phillips, I think it's definitely Gratterall's job. So um, I, he he's a guy like I don't think I have any of yet in in DCs, but he's going at 452, so I think he's a great spec. Um, and then the other thing is they're getting Blake Trinan back next year, which um, he's been an elite closer. So yeah. they're pretty set in their bullpen. Yeah, they're good to go. Gratterall is Gratterall and Jacks. I had in like so many DCs last year just for that back end love. So. Hopefully that continues on. The fact that Gradall's 24 is depressing as a Giants fan, so yeah, want to hear that. Yeah, uh, well, that just means he'll be a free agent too. So true, true, and, and in prime years. So yeah, the the Giants can maybe sign him. Um, <laughs> the Miami Marlins. This is a fun one because uh, Tanner Scott was apparently the most added player on winning OC teams last year. So, I believe it. Yeah, yeah I mean, when you think about here? yeah, when you think about um, how little turnover there was in the closer position when you get somebody with as many strikeouts as he had and getting saves, it makes sense. Um, so I'll admit I have taken him a few times in drafts cause he was going, he's one of those guys, I think um, where you can take advantage of market inefficiencies. I was getting him after the 12th round. I've been in gladiators where he's going in the sixth round and I am fully out on him at that price for, and I put in the notes here, like a couple of reasons. So, He's had a huge walk problem in his career. And last year was the first time that he's um, kind of avoided that walk issue. And he cut his walk rate in half from 2022 to 2023. Um, I need to see that hold a little longer before I'm willing to invest in that type of um, price for him. The second thing is he's going to be a free agent after next year. And who Miami just hired to manage their org is uh, Peter Bendix from Tampa, who maximizes value on relievers when they have, you know, when they pop like this and have career years. Like if you think about when the Rays traded Diego Castillo, when they traded Jose Alvarado, when they traded just, you know, um, I, I feel like they traded like, Alex Colomay while he was getting saves. Yeah, like you're right. Um, he, they, they do not let relievers um, 
like get to free agency. They he they trade them during arbitration and they get at their peak. Yeah, at their peak and just mm-hmm. before they get expensive. Um, yeah. The last thing is if you want to say, oh, they've they have a, you know, he's an elite lefty. Like they have another elite lefty. They actually have like two if you consider AJ Puck to be an elite lefty. Um, <laughs> Andrew Nardi. Like if you look at all yeah. of his underlying metrics, they were like. Filthy. Very comparable to Tanner Scott, and that guy's only 24. Yeah. Um, so like they can, you know, they they can trade Scott, get valuable prospects for him after a career year to somebody, and um, not really miss a beat in terms of like the structure of their bullpen because they still have Puck and Nardi, who are two. You know, I, I, Puck, he he definitely struggled, but like he also had points in the air where he was doing really well so if yeah. they can kind of smooth that all out like you know all of his his um underlying metrics are all still really really good um you know to me so um i think they can afford to trade him so when and then you don't know where he's going to go um if he's going to get saves if the walks are going to pop back up there's just a lot of questions that uh i can't pay that six round price tag I can't even pay a top 10 round price tag right now until I know exactly what his role is going to be. Yeah. I'd rather do the Nardi thing. I, I dug in deep on him on my last draft and I was very impressed with what I saw there. So yeah. Yeah. That was good stuff. Um, and Milwaukee, then the, oh, sorry. Sorry. The, and then just the last thing is um, they're also getting Anthony Bender back next yeah, year. He's so. got history as well. Yeah. And he's coming from the right side. And he, righty. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So you get the mix and match there. So that yep. could be. Very interesting. The Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, yeah. I love Devin Williams. Could get traded, yeah. though. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're going to be tearing everything down, right? So, like, yep. if they do, Williams has two years left. You're going to get uh, a, a huge haul for him. Yep. So if they if they go the route of tearing it down, I don't see why they would um, pay Williams or, you know, extend him. I think they would just – include him as part of that teardown, especially given the fact that they have um, Abner Uribe, who seems to be like the closer in waiting, just given his stuff. Um, he just looks like kind of um, like an Emmanuel class, a like clone, honestly. So um, I, uh, I just, I envision that we'll see him closing if, if not this year um, in the next couple of years. So um, that, but again, Williams, I think is safe. Anywhere he gets traded, I think he's going to close out games. So, okay. yeah. All right, let's go to your team. Yep, the Mets. New York Mets. And but based on what you wrote here, I can definitely tell it's your team. Yeah, yeah. Edwin Diaz comeback season. Um, in, there's nobody in, else. End of blurb on the Mets. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, I think he's my he's my first reliever um, for next year, and uh, yeah, I'm expecting. Any any reliever that can get you saves on a good team and get you know push a hundred strikeouts is very valuable in, in all formats. I, that's what I expect Diaz to do once he's back next year. Yeah, that was one of the fun parts of uh, that early draft to do, especially the first seven rounds. We don't have any ADP. I have nothing. Oh, yeah. Most of us forgot about Edwin Diaz, and all of a sudden, like, oh sh! <laughs> I was I was so yeah. mad. Well, remember yeah. what happened? So, like, somebody somebody said Diaz, which, and they were which like, which Diaz. one? And I was like, yeah. oh damn it! And then like yeah. Edwin went the next pick. I was like, damn yeah, it! I was, was 
yeah he he's uh my target that round but um kind of wanted wanted to wait a bit and see where he fell for uh i was hoping to kind of pull the card of like the the oh shit card where it's like edwin diaz oh i I totally forgot about him but somebody beat me to it so it was coming Um, i think i think he's my reliever one this year because it wasn't an arm injury so i'm I'm bouncing back on that train yep yep Philadelphia Phillies, your first sentence says it all. This team is loaded in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and then as a Met fan, I have to deal with like the Phillies and the Braves just completely loading up their bullpen with like six 30% strikeout guys. And the Mets have Edwin Diaz and like uh, Brooks Raley and, uh, you know, a <laughs> bunch of, uh, I don't know, popcorn vendors. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so the thing is, I, I don't think they're going to miss Kimbrell at all. And I actually think they're not even going to try to replace him in free agency. I think, um, you know, if you look at how their World Series team was, they did that by letting Rob Thompson just kind of mix and match his entire bullpen. And it seems to be that's like his preferred method and that's what he's comfortable doing. And without Kimbrell kind of like lurking, being like that, like, sulky guy that like needs the ninth inning he can kind of just be more free to use everybody however he wants and right now they have like a really nice balance where they have um sir anthony dominguez um uh jeff hoffman and then orion uh kirkering as righties all you know great strikeout pitchers at least they were last year and then on the left side they have alvarado soto and strom so i just think like that collection of six guys they can just he's just going to mix and match based on you know what what side of the um plate the batters are coming up to and i think um i think i prefer alvarado but i think all are viable in dc formats um i i'm i'm really interested in kirkering like if he he is nasty he throws like 98 mile an hour sinkers he has insane movement on his pitches. Um, I, I think he can, he can definitely um, jump over Dominguez and Hoffman and be like the highest leverage righty really for that bullpen. And that could translate to a high percentage of their saves. Um, So, you know, like I said, as a Mets fan, I'm just very jealous of this bullpen. I think it's, it's sick. Yeah. It's loaded. And that's why, they don't need a ton of pitching, even though they brought Nola back. So they're going to be striving for goods again. Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, every year we talk about they're a bad team, but Bednar still gets 25 to 30 saves. So yep. Yeah, I mean, it's Bednar. It's only Bednar. Um, Holderman, I think, is a decent um, late DC play just because Bednar has had back injuries kind of recur a couple, for a couple of years now, and he's, he's kind of a bigger guy. So, um, you know, back, back injuries with – you know, the weight that he carries and stuff like that um, that might not go away very easily. So, uh, but other than that, I I don't really see anybody in their bullpen that I'm particularly enthused about. You already talked about uh, the Josh Hader leaving town situation. So what do you got in the San Diego Padres, which is pretty wide open, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, so Robert Suarez has the contract. So I think like the prevailing thought is that he um, is going to be the guy. But the trade with the Guardians that they made with Scott Barlow, I think, like, is interesting to me. Um, because if you, like, 
if you squint and look at their metrics, even if you don't squint, like like uh, Eniel De Los Santos is who who they got from Cleveland for Barlow. He had very similar um, metrics to Suarez. He had a better strikeout rate, the same walk rate, better ERA and FIP, and the ERA and FIP were both better by run in De Los Santos' favor. Um, same first pick, first pitch strike percentage, and then a similar O2 rate. So like. It's a it's a pretty similar profile, and you know he just walked in the door. Um, the other thing about Suarez is, yes, he did sign an extension, a five year extension, but he has an opt out after this year. And if he's performing well, maybe the Padres say, "All right, this guy's going to opt out, and we're going to lose him because you know closers are getting X, and he's making." nine million and he might say hey i can go get 15 million a year for four years on the market so i'm opting out so he he could be a trade candidate um mid mid season he could be a trade candidate now i mean you know we just saw them trade a seven and a half million dollar barlow on an expiring deal and they're doing interesting things already in um early in the off season because you know, the De Los Santos deal. And then a late DC guy that I like, uh, Jeremiah Estrada is who he was released by the Cubs. Um, he has an elite fastball, extremely high spin dominated the minors from throughout, you know, coming up from 2021, 2022 made his way to the majors, um, at the end of 2022, I believe, um, if not, Maybe he made his debut last year in the majors. I have to check that, but he um, he walks. He he really struggled with walks last year, um, both in the majors and in the minors. And he ended up getting let go by the Cubs, which is kind of telling, given you know we talked about their lack of um, depth in their bullpen. The fact that they just like gave up on him was like pretty shocking to me. But Padres grabbing him right away. Um, I don't know. I could see I could see them getting him straightened out and him making his way into their major league bullpen. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. He's a guy I'm gra- I've grabbed a couple times in DCs in the, in the 40s and um I'm assuming, you know, he was a helium guy in drafts last year. I could see him going again uh you know, getting some helium in DCs. Especially in that Padres bullpen that's not that great right now. So yeah, Suarez, I like the De Los Santos call. He's been a guy on my radar in DC's last couple of years. So like the stuff there. Go to my team, the Giants, and I'm with you. It's one man show. Yeah, Doval. Yeah. Um I like Taylor Rogers, but Doval's gonna be the guy. Yep. Taylor Rogers is a real life pitcher, not a fantasy pitcher. Uh St. Louis Cardinals. Now this gets interesting because I wasn't a Helsley guy last year, but he came back and finished well. I still think there's other relievers there, but We'll see yeah. what happens. So, what's your thoughts, yeah. On Cardinals? Yeah, I, I was I was not on Helsley last year either, but um, you know he came back really strong in September. He had a zero point seven seven ERA, forty four percent strikeout rate. He had seven saves after he returned in September. Um, finished really strong, and you know I, I know I noted two guys, uh, Giovanni Gallegos and and uh, Jojo Romero. Gallegos was fine despite you know, all the concerns about how he would do with the pitch clock and how slow he works. Um, but they just don't seem to trust him with the ninth inning exclusively. Romero is just as good as Gallegos, um, and he seemed to be trusted more in the ninth inning. So if Helsley does 
have another injury, you could see him in the ninth again. I was very skeptical just because he, for his career, didn't really have like a closer profile. But, um, you know, he got the job done and his underlying metrics were all pretty solid. So um, he would be the guy. I've grabbed him late in a couple of DCs as well. Um, but, you know, Helsey was looked so good when he came back that um, – and he's going, you know, at a – fair cost i would say in in drafts i've seen so far so um he's interesting but obviously the health is a little bit of an issue yep no doubt about it but definitely options in st louis last but not least the washington nationals like how you just say finnegan versus harvey and i agree with everything you're saying here because i'm a team harvey guy but finnegan scares me to have the role so what do you got yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's like uh Finnegan has the trust factor of the team and uh, you know, Davey Martinez is pretty uh, loyal manager in terms of how he manages bullpen. Um, And they, there was a report that they're committed to Finnegan as the established closer. Um, But obviously last year, like across the board, Harvey performed better, Um, higher strikeout rate, lower walk rate, better ERA, FIP, WHIP, 0.2%, 3.0%. But, you know, he has a really checkered, track record from a health perspective um you know including like he had like a i i had harvey in in my big leagues and like he had a i think like an elbow and a shoulder injury simultaneously when he was and so like you know that that is a concern a, a very legitimate concern um both of them have two years remaining on their contracts so maybe one of them gets traded um in the off season makes the decision pretty easy for us. Um, I, I think you have to take the Nats at their word right now and that they're committed to Finnegan. Um, but that being said, it makes sense to take RV and DCs as a spec play, given that he outperformed him across the board last year. No, uh, I'm with you there. You mentioned a late round DC target too, if you want Bring him yeah, up, Z- but... so Zach Brixey, um, it's one of the hardest names to spell. Yeah, his nickname I've never is... seen that one, so I'll give you credit it, on this one. His nickname is iChart. I liked him I this chart. time last year. Um, so yeah, so it's spelled <laughs> B-R-Z-Y-K-C-Y. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I-, I liked him coming into last year, but then he had Tommy John in this in during spring training. He went from single a to triple a in 2022 he was you know given closer role in the minors he dominated in every stop he had like a one five era with an insane strikeout rate um throughout the minors he just seems to be the closer of the future um i'm sure he'll be back pitching at some point this year but he is coming off tommy john so like it might be a he might not be back until the middle of the year and um so we'll see when when he makes his way to the majors, but I would expect it to be, um, if not in 2024, certainly in 2025. Well, he's been drafted in one league so far, so someone's taking a shot on him. At seven it might might have been me. <laughs> okay, there you go. But yeah, someone's taking a shot on him. He's in a, he's on as many teams as Tommy Canley is. So there you yeah. go. All right, but um, I love it. But and that'll wrap up 30 teams. Dom came with the thunder on that one. Before we head on out of here. Any final thoughts on like relief pitching situations right now, the DCs in general, anything we talked about tonight? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think, um, 
like I, I kind of say this on a bunch of pods, like I tend to, uh, I use the term like take your medicine when it comes to drafting um, closures. I like to just get a top guy or two and not have to worry about it and not have to speculate on. And I think this practice almost like showed me like there are a number of viable spec plays late across the board and um, it's tough to hit hit them if you wait so it's it's almost better to just you know grab at least one elite guy and then if you want to speculate late you can but um i like to at least grab one one uh one big guy but no other than that um you know just see see everybody that's listening in the draft room yep it'll be uh dom will be around yeah yeah that's for darn sure but uh Again, everybody, if for some reason you're not following him, he's on Twitter at Bullpen Guru over at Reliever Recon, doing great stuff over there. And then also on the podcast, the Dead Pulletter Podcast with Rob DiPietro, doing the Fab Recaps Weekly, and then off and on throughout the offseason. I've already heard him on there a few times. So, Dom, appreciate you joining me, man. It was great to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks, Bubba. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, Episode 612, DC's Relievers and More with Dom, the Bullpen Guru. Catch you all next time. <laughs>